The Old Testament reading um, this evening is Isaiah chapter 40, verses 1 to 12. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and announce to her that her time of forced labour is over. Her iniquity has been pardoned and she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one crying out, Prepare the way of the Lord in the wilderness. Make a straight highway for our God in the desert. Every valley will be lifted up, and every mountain and hill will be levelled. The uneven ground will become smooth, and the rough places are plain. And the glory of the Lord will appear, and all humanity together will see it, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Another voice was saying, cry out. Another, vo- another said, what should I cry out? All humanity is grass, and all its goodness is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flowers fade, when the breath of the Lord blows on them. Indeed, the people are grass. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God remains forever. Zion, herald of good news, go up on a high mountain. Jerusalem, herald of good news, raise your voice loudly. Raise it, do not be afraid. Say to the cities of Judah, here is your God. See the Lord God comes with strength and his power establishes his rule. His reward is with him, and his gifts accompany him. He protects his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms, and he carries them in the fold of his garment. He gently leads those that are nursing. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, or marked off the heavens with the span of his hand? Who has gathered the dust of the earth in a measure, or weighed the mountains in a balance, and the hills in the scales? Matthew chapter 14. Immediately before this starts, Jesus has just heard from the disciples of John the Baptist that Herod has killed him in the way that is so appalling and that we know about. When Jesus heard about it, he withdrew from there by boat and went to a remote place to be alone. When the crowds heard this, they followed him on foot from the towns As he stepped ashore, he saw a huge crowd, felt compassion for them, and healed their sick. When evening came, the disciples approached him and said, This place is a wilderness, and it's already late. Send the people away so they can go into the villages and buy food for themselves. They don't need to go away, Jesus told them. You give them something to eat. But we have only five loaves and two fish here, they said to him. Bring them here to me, he said. Then he commanded the crowds to sit down on the grass. He took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he blessed them. He broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds, and everyone ate and was filled. Then they picked up twelve baskets full of leftover pieces. Now those that ate were about five thousand men beside women and children. Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. After dismissing the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat was already over a mile from land, battered by the waves, 
because the wind was against them. Around three in the morning he came toward them, walking on the sea. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. Immediately Jesus spoke to them, Have courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it is you, Peter answered him, command me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. After climbing out of the boat, Peter started walking on the water and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the strength of the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately Jesus reached out his hand, caught hold of him and said to him, You of little faith, why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Then those in the boat worshipped him and said, Truly you are the Son of God. Once they crossed over, they came to land at Gennesaret. When the men of that place recognised him, they alerted the whole vicinity and brought to him all who were sick. They were begging him that he might, they might touch, only touch the tassel on his robe. And as many as touched it were made perfectly well. Thanks very much for reading so well. It's great, isn't it, when the Bible is read well and clearly. Uh, friends, good evening. Uh, nice to see you again. Uh, if you didn't meet me last week and you're wondering who I am, I'm Simon. I'm one of the, uh, not the student ministers. Goodness. That was a while ago. I was a student minister. I'm now an assistant minister here at Church by the Bridge um, and my responsibilities are primarily at Lavender Bay, Saturday night and 8am. It's nice to see you all. Um, Friends, tonight we continue on in Matthew's Gospel, Matthew chapter 14, as we just had read, and we're going to sort of hang there for a bit later on. Uh, We're going to dive around in the Old Testament a bit, so get prepared to sort of flick that piece of paper around a little bit tonight. Um, Tonight we're back in Matthew. Uh, Matthew, like I said last week, if you were here, the big question of the week last week was the question that Jesus asks his disciples in Matthew chapter 16. After hearing all that Jesus had been saying, speaking with the authority and power of God, astonishing the crowds, after seeing all that Jesus had been doing, healing the sick, Restoring sight to the blind, raising, like we looked at last week, a dead girl back to life with a word. After hearing Christ, after seeing Christ, in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus turns to his followers, those who were closest with him at the time, his disciples. He turns to them and asks a very personal question. Who do you say I am? It's the big question that is everything is kind of moving towards in this section of Matthew's Gospel. But who do you say I am? Not those people over there, not the person next to you, the person in front of you. Who do you say I am? It's a very personal question. Because how you answer that question, like we looked at last week, shapes your life. We looked last week, like his hometown, if you just see Jesus As a nice guy, a great teacher, an amazing leader, you'll treat him like you treat any other nice guys, amazing leaders and good teachers. You won't see him and worship him as Lord of creation, majestic above all things, in control of the world. 
Who do you say I am? It's massively important how you answer that question. As you shape your life, as you live life in this world, looking forward to the next. And so tonight, we get to see more of Jesus in action. More of Jesus doing amazing things, two amazing miracles that Jesus does tonight. And what's interesting, have a look at your sheet, Matthew chapter 14. Jesus takes us to that point. Matthew wants to take us to the same point that his, the disciples get to. Matthew chapter 14, verse 33. This is where everything's kind of heading in this particular section of Matthew's gospel, this chapter. All of the disciples worshipped Jesus, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. I want us to see tonight, we ought to be people who fix our eyes on Jesus and worship him truly as the Son of God. And I want us to see tonight that as we see Jesus feeding the 5,000, as we see Jesus walking on water, doing only what God can do, I want us, friends, to fall at the feet of the one who saves the perishing. And I want us to feast at the table at the one who feeds the hungry. That's what we see coming out of this passage tonight. Let me pray that we might learn great things about Jesus tonight. Let's pray. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. We praise you and thank you that we have it in our hands tonight. That We can read it. We can see it. We can freely explore it tonight. By your spirit, Father, please change us to be more like Jesus. For those in the room tonight who don't yet trust in Jesus, Father, I pray you do a mighty work. Open our eyes to who Jesus really is. Father, I pray you'd help me to speak faithfully and clearly. For the sake of Jesus, we pray. Amen. 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 Truly, you are the Son of God. At the time when those planes flew in, to the Twin Towers in New York, September 11, my world got rocked. I wonder if your world got rocked by those events. As those planes, I felt vulnerable, more vulnerable than I've ever felt in my life before. And I began to read people's comments and responses to September 11 and that particular crisis. One person I came across was Josephine Hart, writing in a London newspaper. She wrote these words. She's a beautiful writer. We have learned from the events of last week that the assumption that tomorrow will be the same as today is nothing more than an illusion. The future no longer stretches out with the same reassuring iconography. A new cartographer has come among us. Isn't a beautiful writer? Something's changed. That day, something changed. The Economist, I think one of the greatest magazines ever written, he says a bit about who I am. The Economist, on the front cover of their magazine, in response to that particular event, said, the day that changed the world. And as a result of those big things that changed the world, that particular event, I think I started entertaining new thoughts as I got about my day-to-day life. I found myself riding lifts in high-rise buildings, entertaining new thoughts. I found myself riding trains into tunnels underneath Wynyard and Town Hall, entertaining new thoughts. I felt vulnerable. You might think I'm paranoid. 
climbing high-rise buildings, feeling trembling and entertaining new thoughts. But that, those events changed my life. They rocked my world. I began to feel vulnerable in this world. I wonder, with the post-GFC or the present global financial crisis, I wonder when you inspect your share funds and your investment portfolios or your pension funds that you entertain new thoughts as your life has been changed by various events. Entertaining new thoughts in a changed world. I want us to see, brothers and sisters, if you trust in Jesus Christ this night. I mean, I understand what Josephine Hart is saying. I get what The Economist is all on about, the day that changed the world. But I want you to see that if you trust in Christ, you can have a steady confidence in Jesus Christ, that he is in control and that he is the Son of God and cares for you, provides for you, leads you day after day. And you would have noticed, and you're going to see this in these passages tonight in Matthew 14, the miraculous feeding of the 5,000, the miraculous walking on water, shows us clearly that Jesus is the Son of God. I want us to see that. I don't know about you, but when I read this passage over the last few weeks and I came across that phrase, it's strange, isn't it, that the disciples called Jesus that specific name, you truly are the Son of God. It's the first time they've done it in the Gospel. God the Father looks upon Jesus earlier in the Gospel and says, you are my Son. The demons earlier in Matthew's Gospel cry out, you are the Son of God. This is the first time. But the disciples cry out and say, you truly are the Son of God. Why do they call him the Son of God? Have you ever wondered that? I want to show us some context to help us see just how magnificent Jesus is and how he is worthy of all our worship as the true Son of God. Come with me. We're going to do a bit of context through the Old Testament. Are you ready to come with me? We're going to start in Exodus chapter 16. Exodus chapter 16, again, if we had floppable Bibles open in front of us, you could flop open Exodus 16. Some of you might know, some of you may not know the story of Exodus. It's like the gospel of the Old Testament. Um, Exodus is where God chooses a people, he chooses Israel, and he draws them out of slavery under Pharaoh in Egypt, oppressive slavery under Pharaoh in Egypt. He draws them out, he saves them, he rescues them from slavery. And he then guides them in a long journey in the desert, in the wilderness, to the promised land. And that whole journey through the wilderness, in the desert, God provides them miraculously with food day after day after day. As they wander in the desert, God provides them with bread day after day. Let me read to you Exodus chapter 16. For your notes, Exodus chapter 16, verse 11 and 12. Exodus chapter 16. And the Lord said to Moses, Moses is the guy, the guy appointed by God to lead his people, the great prophet, I've heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. God miraculously provides bread and meat for his people day after day. And you might wonder, why does God do that? Why, what was the point of God feeding his people miraculously day after day? It's right there at the end of verse 12. Why does he do it? Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. He saves them out of Egypt. They're in the desert. They're wandering. And God provides them with all they need so that they are filled 
And he does it so that they would know that God is their God, that God is present with them even in the desert, caring for them, present with them, providing for them. It's a wonderful picture. The same comes in verses 6 and 7 of the same chapter, Exodus 16. So the point of the miraculous feeding is to show that God is their God. God is present with them, feeding them, caring for them, loving them and taking them to the promised land all the way beside them. Do you see the resonance with the feeding of the 5,000? Are you beginning to see? Many of you may know the great hymn, Guide Me, O Thy Great Jehovah. Who knows the hymn, Guide Me, O Thy Great Jehovah? Would anyone like to sing it? Guide me, O thou great Jehovah. It's not a song that is only to be sung by terrified British rugby fans when they see in the old days Jonah Lomu running down the wing about to crush all their hopes. Guide me, O thou great Jehovah, crush Jonah Lomu. No, it's to be sung by God's people, knowing that God is our guide, God is our provider in the desert, leading us to the verge of Jordan. And verse 1 has these beautiful words, I am weak. You are mighty. Glorious words to be sung by the people of God, saved from slavery by a compassionate God and provided for day after day, bread from heaven by God. Why? So they would know that God is God and he is their God. I'd love to keep working our way through every instance of this in the, New, in the Old Testament. We haven't got time for that. Numbers 27, write it down. Have a cup of tea when you get home and then flop open Numbers 27. Same thing is here. God leading his people day after day after day to the promised land and he provides in, chapter, in promises in, turn, in Numbers 27 to give them a good shepherd, a true shepherd to lead them, to guide them all the way to the verge of Jordan, to the promised land. And he does it. But then come with me, Isaiah 40. We had it read just before. Flip open your page. Isaiah 40. Matthew, this gospel writer, absolutely loves Isaiah. He's in love with Isaiah. Isaiah just filters and penetrates through his gospel all over the place. This is not just random Old Testament selection tonight. These are key passages. And Isaiah 40 is key. It's a key passage in Matthew because we see in Isaiah 40 God promising his oppressed, sad, sorrowful, disorientated people his presence, powerfully rescuing them. It's this turning point in Isaiah, verse 1, comfort, comfort my people after they've been oppressed and under judgment and harshly treated by all the peoples around them. God speaks through Isaiah, comfort, comfort my people. Compassionate God, speak tenderly to Jerusalem. And in verse 3, a voice of one crying out, prepare the way of the Lord in the wilderness, make a straight highway for our God in the desert. God will come to his people in the desert. Verse 6, he'll come to a people who are like grass who are fading away, who are temporary, whose glory is fading, who are suffering and struggling. God will come himself. And verse 10, God himself will come with power to rule. See, the Lord God comes with strength and his power establishes his rule. 
This God of compassion comes and speaks tenderly to his people, a people who are fading, temporal. He comes in power with strength to rule his people. But look how he rules. Verse 11. He protects his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them in the fold of his garment. He gently leads those that are nursing. Is that not just a beautiful picture of the one God will send to his people in a world being tossed around, sad, sorrowful, sick, sinful? God in his mercy and compassion provides us with one who will come and be present with his people. The promise of compassion and confidence in uncertain times. Do you see? Do you see the links forming? Come with me now to Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14, on the other side of your page. Matthew 14, it's just spectacular what Matthew is doing here. Remember my big question at the start. Who do you say I am? The disciples, truly you are the son of God. That's where they get to. That's where I want us to get to. Verse 14. As he stepped ashore, as Jesus stepped ashore, A huge crowd was there. And what was his response? You know, recognising what Jesus has been through up until this point. He's been ridiculed. He's been rejected. He's been oppressed. Any wonder, he would probably want to get off that boat and just have a good sit down, a rest. But he gets off, he sees the huge crowd and he feels compassion for them. And he healed their sick. It's a wonderful picture of God himself coming to his people and with compassion. The word there in the original language is flanknitsamai, uh, which probably means absolutely nothing to you, but it's kind of flanknik. It means kind of viscera, the gut, all the entrails inside us. He saw the helpless and hopeless nature of all these people around him, the crowd who were desperate and needed compassion, and he had compassion for them. His body turned over when he saw how helpless and hopeless they were. And what did he do? He responded in compassion and he healed their sick. Right at the end of our passage, isn't it beautifully how it's translated? Everyone who came to him and touched his robe, they were made perfectly well. Jesus comes as the compassionate one, deeply compassionate. And interestingly, it's interesting where he comes to, isn't it? Remembering our context, when evening came, verse 15, the disciples approached him and said, this place is a wilderness, literally desert. The promised one comes with compassion and meets his people in the desert. Exodus 16, Numbers 27 on the way to the promised land. Isaiah 40, the promised one, comes and meets his people and displays gut-wrenching compassion and meets his people in the desert. What is God doing in verses 15 to 21 when he takes five 
loaves, when Jesus takes five loaves and two fish and they miraculously turn into enough food to feed 5,000 men, let alone the women and the children. That's probably at least 10,000 plus people with 12 basketfuls left over. These people are filled and satisfied. What's he doing? Miraculously feeding the people, he shows us that he is God. The son of God. The promised son who would come and satisfy his people like no one else could. Do you see? Truly, you are the son of God. And come with me to verse 27. What is Jesus saying? You know, the disciples are tossed around. They're on the boat. Remember, not, it's not a sandbar that runs a long way out. This is a miraculous thing that Jesus does. He walks on water. He comes out to meet them. They're terrified. It's a ghost, they say. Fair enough, too. And they cried out in fear. Immediately, Jesus speaks to them. They're, they're fearful for their lives tossed around by the waves, fearful for their lives. Immediately, Jesus spoke to them. Get this. Have courage. I am. That's what it literally is. Have courage. It is I. In the liter- it's literally have courage. I am. Where do we get I am from? That's the name of God, Yahweh. Exodus chapter 3, Moses wants to see the glory of God and God reveals himself in the burning bush. Exodus chapter 3, and God reveals his name to Moses. And his name is I Am. There on the water, in their distress, Jesus says, take courage. I Am. Don't be afraid. Truly, You are the Son of God. What is Jesus doing then in verses 28 to 31? As Peter sees the wind and the waves, he takes his eyes. Notice Jesus is there right in front of him. He calls Peter out. Peter says, call me out. I want to walk on the water too. And Jesus says, come. And so fixing his eyes on Jesus, Peter walks on the water. The minute he takes his eyes off the water and eyes off Jesus and looks at all the waves around him, he starts to sink. He then looks back at Jesus and he says, Lord, save me. And Jesus, with great compassion, in complete control, reaches out his hand and says, take hold. And he picks him up. Peter, you of little faith, you of little faith, Faith, why did you doubt? And then Jesus lovingly embraces Peter and pulls him into the boat, safe and sound, with Jesus the Lord. What's he doing there? What is the response that we are to make as we see this work of Christ? We are to join with the disciples who are in the boat, worshipping Christ and saying, truly, you are the Son of God. Do you see? The long-promised Messiah. The one who God in the Old Testament, Exodus 16, Numbers 27, Isaiah 40, the one God promised would come into the presence of fallen humanity has come in the man of the Lord Jesus Christ. Truly you are the Son of God. He comes with compassion. He comes with strength and power. He comes as the true shepherd to embrace his people, to be present with them 
and to lead them to the promised land. Do you see? Do you see? For in Jesus Christ we see the face of the compassionate God. Let us tonight be a people of God who fall at the feet of the one who saves the perishing. Let us fall at the feet of the one who saves the perishing and live like Christ. Do you know a motto for church? I'm sure you know it. Living for Jesus, loving like Jesus. We are to live for Jesus. We are to fall at the feet of the one who saves the perishing. Worship him because he gave up everything so that we might have everything. We are to fall at his feet. We're also to love like Jesus, to have the compassion of Jesus. All around us, everywhere we go in our world, there are people with needs. We are to have the same gut-wrenching compassion as Jesus. But it's not just meant to be compassion alone. It's meant to be compassion coupled with confidence. Confidence that Christ Jesus is ultimately the one who saves and satisfies. For the feet who saves the perishing. And then feast at the table of the one who satisfies the hungry. Do you notice in Exodus 16, God provides manna from heaven and the people are filled, they are satisfied. Jesus comes into the world, feeds the people and they are filled, they are satisfied. John chapter 6, John says that Jesus is not just the provider of bread, he is the bread. It's in him we find ultimate satisfaction. He is sufficient. Feast at the table of the one who feeds the hungry. Do you see? But who do you say I am? Says Jesus to his disciples. Truly you are the Son of God. Truly you are the Son of God. The long-promised Saviour, the long-promised Messiah, who is with us day after day after day, tending to us, carrying us through all the trials and tribulations of this life, all the way to the promised land, to heaven, where there will be no sickness, no sadness, no tears, no death. For death has been wiped away. Do you see? Fall at the feet of the one who saves the perishing. Feast at the table of the one who feeds the hungry. Let me finish with these words from Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. I was just reading this before as we were singing. I do love to sing. Don't get me wrong. Romans chapter 8. I'll conclude with these words and then we'll pray. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is, get this, interceding for us, Christian. 
Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things of the present nor things of the come nor powers nor heights nor depth nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Hold on to those words as Christ holds on to us and leads us to the promised land. Fall at his feet. Feast at his table. Give him the glory that is due to him. Let's pray. Let's pray. Father, we praise you and thank you so much for Jesus. Father, we praise you that as we read Matthew's gospel, we just see the fulfilment of all your promises coming together. Father, we thank you for your word that shows us and points us to Jesus. Father, we thank you so much that you provide for us in every way. Daily you feed us, daily you give us all that we need. But Father, we thank you and praise you above all that you've given us our greatest need, the forgiveness of sins and real hope in an uncertain world. And so, Father, this night we thank you for forgiveness in Christ Jesus, that he went willingly to the cross and died for us, and we thank you for the hope of eternal life, and we thank you that as we look and fix our eyes on Jesus, you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, the strength of your word, carries us day by day to that great place. Help us to be a people who encourage one another, who inspire one another, who get alongside each other as we fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. We pray all these things in his mighty name. Amen.